experienced a wonderful Feast of Tabernacles this year, and the feast is a gift from God. My wife and I were in Cathedral City, California, near Palm Springs, and then went on to Midway, Utah, and we had several of our brethren from Charlotte there in Midway, Utah as well. We heard ten sermons and ten sermonettes, and we were immersed in a vision of the kingdom of God on earth. We received instructions, we received uh, exhortation, we received sometimes correction. And now we are between the Feast of Tabernacles and the Passover. During the Feast of Tabernacles, we received those messages that included maybe a Bible study or two. And we were immersed in the truth. We were covered daily with God's Word. So how can we continue with that kind of intensive training where we had daily Sabbaths or daily services, messages, sermons, messages every day? How can we be immersed in the truth? The title of the sermon today is Immerse Yourself in the Truth. Immerse yourself in the truth. Sometimes you hear the expressions around the season of the year, uh, immerse yourself in Christmas, or immerse yourself in shopping, or uh, immerse yourself in uh, festive seasons. The word immerse technically means submerge in a liquid, but symbolically it means involve oneself deeply in a particular activity or interest. My turn to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. And I think you all know the story of the Exodus. 1 Corinthians 10, starting with verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant or unaware that our fathers were under the cloud all passed through the sea. So they were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Well, they were immersed. They were surrounded by water, overhead with the cloud and the walls of water on either side. Romans, the sixth chapter, I think you're familiar with that, the symbolism of baptism itself, of being immersed. Romans, the sixth chapter, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that many of us that were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So you have the symbolism of actually being buried in a grave. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the, the dead by the glory of the Father, so even so we also should walk in newness of life. So there are symbolisms of being immersed. And when you think about being immersed in the truth, how close is your relationship with the truth? First Peter 5 and verse 5 gives another metaphor for being a close relationship. First Peter 5 and verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So another way of looking at a relationship with, in this case, humility, you are clothed with, we all have jackets or uh, suits or uh, blouses, dresses on, and we are clothed, but think of being clothed with humility. I won't turn there, but Psalm 104 says, bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. So even the psalm talks about God being clothed, in this case, with honor and majesty. 
Psalm uh, 104, uh, one, uh, mentioned that, Psalm 104, verse 1. But, so in this sermon, we want to consider the total relationship to the truth. We want to be clothed with the truth. We want to be immersed, immersed in the truth. We're living the truth. And when you think of truth surrounding you at all times, think about walking in an atmosphere of truth. You're walking in an atmosphere of air, oxygen, and, uh, of course, uh, the spirit of love within the congregation here. But involve yourself deeply in the truth. One of the meanings of the word immerse was involve yourself deeply in that particular activity or interest. So involve yourself deeply in the truth. Clothe yourself with the truth. And, of course, another way of saying it is internalize the truth. So let's consider seven ways to immerse ourselves in the truth, to surround ourselves with truth, to clothe ourselves with truth, and to internalize the truth. Number one in immersing yourself in the truth is to treasure the truth. Turn to uh, Matthew, the 13th chapter, Matthew 13 and verse 44. Matthew 13 and verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. For joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So that again is the treasure. What do you treasure? Then there's the parable of the pearl of great price, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found the one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you know that you have found the pearl of great price? And you know that you have treasure, that pearl of great price. What is that pearl of great price? It's the truth of God's way of life. It's his plan of salvation. It's the gift of life through Christ. It's the pearl of great price. Second Thessalonians 2 shows that some did not treasure the truth or like the truth. Second Thessalonians 2 and uh, verse 9. Second Thess- Thessalonians 2 and verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not love the truth. They did not receive the love of the truth. And we need to make sure that we don't let our love wax cold, because Jesus warned in Matthew 24, that in the end times the love of many would wax cold. And stirs up, up. Remember, Second Timothy one, verse six, to stir up the gift that is in us by the laying of hands. We just cannot be lazy. We cannot take vacations uh, that, in symbolic spiritual sense, we need to press on. We need to have that passion, that Philadelphia perseverance to keep on keeping on. But those did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may condemn who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So, brethren, we need to treasure the truth. We need to love the truth and make sure that we are not deceived as Others were. I won't turn there, but you know John 14, 6. So where can we find the truth? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So our Savior is the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. 
So we have great treasures that God has given us. In fact, we have a sermon number 1074, True Treasures. So number one, treasure the truth. Number two, turn to John the 8th chapter, John 8, John 8 and verse 32. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Then said in verse 31, if you abide in me, my word, you are my disciples indeed. So where can we find the truth? We find the truth through Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And the word of God, of course, we'll get, get to that a little later. But one of the sources of truth, of course, is Christ himself. And if we're immersed in the truth, we have a very deep relationship with him. Second Timothy 2, verse 15. Another one of those memorization verses, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And we heard the, in the sermonette how we rightly divide the word of truth in Colossians, the second chapter. So we need to know the truth, rightly divide the truth, and be diligent and studying it and understanding it because we know Matthew 4 4, Luke 4 4, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word of God. I bring to mind an experience I had back in when I first coming into the church in Virginia, Virginia Beach, Virginia. I was renting a room from uh, a elderly lady and uh, she uh, had said, I one day, as I was coming back into my, to, to my apartment, and she said, I've learned about that plain truth about yours. She was very negative. And uh, uh, so she said, uh, I said, well, uh, thank you, Mrs. Barclay, and, and uh, good evening. But at one time she asked me, what do you believe? And how would you answer? I just said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And so the proverb, one time she was very friendly and very, in fact, she actually moved out of her house so that I could move in to her house uh, because that was after my uh, first year at Ambassador, I went back to that same home. But the, the apartment I rented was, was already rented. And uh, so she later called me at the office and I told you that story before, so I won't go into it, but Ephesians 3.20, when I was asking God to provide me housing there in Virginia Beach, going back to my engineering job for the summer after my freshman year at Ambassador, uh, to provide me accommodations exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or think. And I was living in a renting a, an apartment in a, a subterranean basement, and I could see people's feet walking above. And, and, uh, but I had to make a decision, and I was looking for this mansion and never could find it, but I had to make a decision at the end of the week, so I prayed, and I said, Well, Father, if you want me to stay in this depressing apartment, may your will be done. <laughs> and the next day, Mrs. Barkley called and said, Dick, if I move out of my house, would you like to move into it? So I actually had her living in her house with the apartment I had previously lived in on the back of the house, and she gave me the whole house virtually for the same rent price that I paid the previous year. And God answered that prayer of Ephesians 3.20. So we need to be bold in the faith, and God will give us exceedingly abundantly above all that we think to ask or imagine. If we're living the truth, I guess that was uh, prompted by her questioning me, what, what do you believe? I said, I believe that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So number two, know the truth. We have abundant resources. We have the Tomorrow's World Bible Study Course online and hard copy. We have Living Education Program, a valuable treasure. We have the weekly Bible studies, and uh, even last night, the Living Youth uh, program by 
Sheldon Munson on the series on the book of Mark had 294 unique visitors, eight countries, seven Canadian provinces, and 36 states were tuned into the Bible study last night. So God is giving us great resources. We have the telecast in various languages, the radio program in Spanish by Mr. Mario Hernandez. I was listening, uh, my wife and I were listening to a, a sermon by uh, Dr. Scott Winneo. He gave de- December 29th, 2018 on being a deliberate Christian or an intentional Christian or a purposeful Christian. He was admonishing us to not let the distractions of our society take us away from spiritual growth. And I wrote down a a quote. He was listing all the resources that are available to us, including years and years of sermons that are online, video shorts, animations available on the web. And he stated in the sermon, quote, I encourage you to use the resources that are at your fingertips, end of quote. I encourage you to take advantage of the resources that are available to you. Take time to listen to these things, to grow through them, to be encouraged by them. And, of course, you can access any of our sermons. Just go to uh, uh, Living Church of God sermon and give the title, and it will come up on YouTube. So as he pointed out, as we all know, that these resources may not last forever, for a while. And you don't want to play Russian roulette or gamble and say, as Mr. Wesson has warned us before, and all the ministers have warned us, you don't want to say, I'm just going to play along because I'll repent later. I've got plenty of time now. I will repent later. Well, later may be too late because it tells us in Amos 8 and verse 11, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, not a thirst of water, but a of hearing of the words of the Lord. There's coming a time when these resources that are available to us will not be available. That's Amos 8 and verse 11, a famine of the hearing of the words of the Lord. So we need to take time to study the truth. And I hope you do take time and realize your time is your life. When I was first coming to the church back in 61, I heard Mr. Armstrong on the radio say, you know, if you have trouble understanding the Bible, try reading the Bible on your knees. And in my freshman year in 1962, I started doing that. And I was able to start marking my Bible and I put the I connected the dots. It came very clear to me as I was reading the Bible on my knees. Not that you have to do that all the time, because we have all the technology of search engines and being able to study the Bible through concordances and and stay at our desk and our computer and, and find a very way of studying. But if you have not ever read the Bible on your knees, and you are able to pray on your knees. You might try that for a little while. Try reading the Bible on your knees. Take time to study the truth. And, of course, your parents are teaching your children the truth. In Deuteronomy 6, 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. shall talk of them as you sit in the house, when you walk in the way, when you lie down. When you rise up, that's immersing your children in the truth. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 7. As I said before, when we were at the feast, we had about 10 sermons, 10 sermonettes and Bible studies. And uh, at the end of the feast in Midway, Utah, Mr. Ben Whitfield gave a sermonette, the last great day, and he asked the question, what are you going to do with the feast information that you had? And he exhorted us to review our notes. And I, perhaps I've rarely done that, but I took it to heart. Now, these, these are my notes of the, of the feast. Of course, I was speaking. I don't take notes when I was taking Some of you have more 
um, classy notebooks and record books to do with. But, you know, it was such an inspiring exercise for me to go back over the feast notes. And I'll just turn uh, refer to a couple here, if I can find them here in my notes. Mr. Uh, Scott Lyons, uh, Josh Lyons' father, gave a sermon at in Midway, Utah, uh, that, oh, that was called Beacon of Light. And uh, he gave the history of uh, lighthouses, and he said the, I broke down a quote, a quote, a quote, the source of light is Jesus Christ living in us. I write down QQ, quotable quotes from some of my sermons. And uh, from Mr. Scott Lyon's sermonette, Beacon of Light, the quotable quote was, The source of light is Jesus Christ living in us. Mr. Roger Bardot gave a sermon titled, Spiritual Growth, Blindness Removed. We only have spiritual growth when blindness is removed. So I've been benefited, I've benefited greatly by going over my sermon notes. And how many of you, let me see your hands, how many of you actually took notes of sermons at the feast? Let me see your hands. Okay, about uh, uh, 88% of you did. Okay, good. The rest of you are just, I know, it, it just... I don't know if it disturbs some of the other preachers, but when I see people just looking at me when I'm speaking, I say, well, that's good, but, but do you ever look down and read your Bible, or do you ever take any notes? But um, some, t- some people, I guess, take notes in their head, and they're, they're doing a, a good job that way. So I'll, I'll give you that uh, concession. Number two, know the truth. Turn to James the second chapter in the book of James. So Mr. Whitfield exhorted us to review our notes and uh, not only to review them, but to apply them. And so we have in, in James 2.20, Be you doers of the word and not hearers only. Again, we want to put into practice those truths that we have learned. So number two is know the truth. But that comes down to the most fundamental question of all, what is truth? This is the Tomorrow's World magazine from uh, March, April 2014. It shows scientists, philosophers, um, and other great intellectuals. And uh, when we were choosing this cover... Uh, we had the feature article was, What is Truth? by Mr. Wallace Smith. And we said, What is Truth? Well, Lana Moloff, who was there reviewing this, said, no, That's not what is truth. It is who has the truth. So uh, kudos to Lana Moloff, who realized, corrected, that the cover was not saying what is the truth, but who has the truth. But the inside of the article is What is the truth? You all know what the truth is. You want to turn there to John 17, 17? John 17, 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify means to consecrate. It means to set apart for a sacred purpose. It has the idea of separate, to separate from the impure in a new region of life. But verse 18, John 17, verse 18, As you have sent me into the world, Jesus is praying to his Father, I also have sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And so we know what the truth is. God's word is truth. And the whole world is deceived. I gave the sermon on the greatest reality. And the world is in delusional. The world is deceived by Satan. The whole world is deceived. But you have not, you've come to understanding. You've come to light in the truth. And you are sanctified by the truth. 
Mr. Wallace Smith's article on what is truth, he covers uh, sections and asks the question, do philosophers know the truth? Do scientists know the truth? Mathematical truth, question mark. And then revealed truth. This is a longer quote than usual, but I think it, Mr. Smith's uh, eloquent comments uh, are worth uh, repeating it to you from the article, What is Truth? And um, again, that's the March-April 2014, Tomorrow's World magazine. Mr. Smith quote, uh, writes, quote, The role of God's word is a source of ultimate truth, truth that can only come from the Almighty Creator himself is not one that must be simply accepted on the basis of a philosopher's argument or a scientist's experiment or a mathematician's proof. God himself validates his words in the lives of those who allow him to work in them to understand its truth and who commit themselves to walking in the path it illuminates. Those willing to devote themselves to the transcendent God of the Bible not only find an answer to the question, what is truth? They also find a living, loving, and beautiful personal guide and companion to help them live out that truth forever. It is the greatest truth one could ever hope to find. Yes, God is love. I asked my wife this morning what was one of her greatest truths that she appreciates. And she said that God is our Father and that Jesus Christ is our Savior. And then she added on to that, God is love. One of the greatest, greatest truths. Some time ago I had a class on fundamentals of theology at Living University and I assigned the students to write an essay on what is truth. I'm going to read a couple of their comments and excerpts from the court. doesn't cover everything, but these are just excerpts from their essay on what is truth. And this is from a young man who is, I think, in the Raleigh area now. He writes, People often question, like, who am I? What am I? Why am I here? As Mr. Herbert Armstrong states, the world about you is a mystery. You yourself are a mystery. End of quote. People want to know the answer to these questions. They want to know the truth, but what is truth? This is a question that most of the so-called wisest people of the world of today cannot completely answer. In this paper, I will give real definitions for truth using the basis for truth, the Holy Bible. <clears throat> and, of course, he quotes John 17:17. 17, 17 but also quoted John, uh, Psalm 119, verse 160. Psalm 119, 160 states, The entirety of your word is truth. So that was from a young man. young lady, that might even be here in the audience uh, this afternoon, wrote this, Finally, God gives man truth through his spirit. John states that it is, quote, the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. 1 John 5, verse 6. Without the Spirit of truth, which is God dwelling in us, she writes, the world cannot receive the truth because they don't know God. John 14:17. Man needs the Spirit of God to understand truth. The fruits of the Spirit are goodness, righteousness, and truth, Ephesians 5, verse 9. Again, I, I was unaware of that particular scripture until reading this. Uh, that is uh, at least highlighted. The fruits of the Spirit are, quote, goodness, righteousness, and truth in Ephesians 5 and verse 9. I'll give you one more excerpt from one of the, another young lady who uh, <clears throat> is uh, here. I won't mention who she is, but you just... <clears throat> no, I better not say it. It's what she writes. The day of Christ's crucifixion at his trial before Pontius Pilate, Jesus Christ explained to the Roman governor that he had come into the world to 
bear witness of the truth, saying that everyone who heard his voice was of the truth. John 18, verse 37. It seems that Pilate was asking it in a more, or Pilate in response to Christ's statement asked the fundamental question, what is truth? It seems that Pilate was asking it in a more rhetorical sense, not necessarily looking for the answer, but acknowledging that the question is one which had been asked by many. If you turn to James, the first chapter, James 1. So I appreciate those students and having the insight, the research, and their essays on what is truth. James, the first chapter. And this, when you really think about it, is remarkable, inspiring, moving. James 1, verse 17. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation of shadow or turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The King James Version has it a little more insightfully. Of his own will, King James Version, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Do you realize those of you who are baptized and receive God Holy Spirit are begotten with God's very nature of truth. That's awesome. And that's how you can understand the tr- truth, as we already read, that as Christ was talking about the spirit of truth. So summary, key number two is know the truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Number three, is live the truth. Actually, I have a sermon by that title, sermon number 403, Live the Truth. And again, I won't turn there, but Matthew 4.4 and Luke 4.4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And James 2.20, Be you doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So some... 110, Psalm 11, verse 10. I'm just knowing these are memorization scriptures. You won't just turn there. Psalm 11, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. So turn to John, the 14th chapter. John 14. How do we have understanding? How do we live the truth? As I said, some of these points overlap. But John 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be able to abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, we know it, actually, for it dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. So God has given us the spirit of truth. And then John 16, turn over a couple chapters later, John 16 and verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. 
So God has given us the spirit of truth. And I cover this, of course, on the day of Pentecost. You think, well, what does God's spirit do for you? Well, it gives you the truth. Not only that, but understanding of things to come, as we just read. So God is giving us the wonderful gift of truth, the spirit of truth. We are begotten by the word of truth, by God's Holy Spirit. So number three is live the truth. Number four is rejoice in the truth. And we have another sermon by that title, Rejoice in the, term, in the Truth, Sermon Number 410. Turn to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. And again, this is agape love. You know, when Jesus was challenging Peter after his resurrection and said, well, do you, do you love me? And when Jesus was using the Greek word agape, meaning spiritual love, Peter answered, Philia, I love you, Philia. And after the two times, Jesus said, do you love me with an agape love? And Peter ends up telling him, I love you with a Philia love. Then Jesus changed the question the third time and says, do you love me with a Philia love, the brotherly love? And he said, you know, Lord, I love you with a brotherly love. Peter never got to say an agape love. But God has given us that kind of love, and that's the kind of love 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about. And what does he say here in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4? Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. So do we really appreciate the truth as deeply as we should? Or do we just take it for granted? Or do we really thank God and acknowledge Him and rejoice in the truth? The word truth appears in the Bible 228 times. Uh, 45 times. 45 times of those are in the New Testament. And how do we apply the truth in our lives? Let's turn to Philippians 4 and verse 8. What are we thinking? If we're rejoicing in the truth, we're thinking the truth. Philippians 4 and verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, That's the very first object or concept of meditation. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of a good report, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You know, the book of Philippians, of course, the Apostle Paul was in chains. He was in prison. And uh, even so... Philippians 4.4 is just one of those, I think, sometimes maybe a little difficult to apply. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It's hard to do that when things go wrong. Things went wrong with me this past week, two two or three or four or five times. And I have to say, how do I handle this? Um. Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to those who love God. I hope I'm learning lessons from my mistake. And count it all joy, James says in the first chapter, when you enter diverse trials, you fall among various trials. Count it joy. Not that it is joyous, but that you come to a full awareness and a full faith that you made perfect, as he says in James, the first chapter. So Paul is in prison until 12 times in the book of Philippians says them, tells them to rejoice. So thank God that he's revealed the mysteries of truth to you. It says in Proverbs 14, verse 6, The scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. 
So if we're obeying God, we can understand the truth. We can live the truth. We can meditate on the truth. And we can rejoice on the truth. So number four, rejoice in the truth. Number five, to stand up for the truth. We have a sermon by that title, Stand for the Truth, uh, sermon number 555. Turn to Acts, the fourth chapter, Acts 4. And some of you have stood up for the truth. When you've been challenged, whether it's been in, in a work uh, environment or college environment, you've had to stand up for the truth and be wise as serpents and harmless as doves at the same time. Acts 4 and verse 19. <clears throat> Peter is before the Sanhedrin. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. And then in Acts 5 and verse 40, they were brought before the Sanhedrin again and beaten this time. They went back to their own uh, brethren, and they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. So were you able to stand up for the truth? But you need to, of course, prove the truth. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test the truth, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. What is it that is a solid part of your truth, your character, of what you really know as far as the truth of the Bible is concerned? Are you going to be able to stand up for it? Standing the gap is a major principle. You turn to Ezekiel, the 22nd chapter. So we as God's people have a responsibility to stand up for the truth and to continue warning our Western nations and and the whole world. Ezekiel, the 22nd chapter, verse 29. The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Therefore I have poured out my judgment on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord Eternal. The uh, commentary uh, encountering the Old Testament Uh, makes this comment on standing in the gap. Ezekiel depicted God's people as a nation of uncleanness. He condemned prophets and priests alike for leading the people astray. The nation's sin grew worse and worse, but God could find no one among the leadership who would take a stand for Israel and beg God to forgive her. Ezekiel used the imagery of, of plugging a breach in the city wall to make his point. When an enemy comes against a walled city, he must find a way to penetrate the wall. If the army succeeds in doing so, those defending the city must stop the advance or the city will fail. Brave men must answer the call to stand in the gap. But God could find no one to defend Jerusalem from his judgment, prophet, priest, or prince. We have sermon number 713, Standing in the Gap. In fact, Mr. Gerald Weston gave that title for the third sermon of uh, the Living Church of God, December 3rd, 1998, sermon number 003, Standing in the Gap by Mr. Gerald Weston. But we have sermon number 555, uh, Standing in the Truth, sermon 713, Standing in the Gap. And Mr. Bob Lee gave a sermon number 615, Who Will Stand? And 1,068, Victory Belong, Stand Fast, 
Victory Belongs to God by Mr. Rob Tyler when he visited here in Charlotte. That's sermon number 1068. So, brethren, God wants us as his people to stand in the gap. He wants us to stand up for his commandments, for his way of life, his righteousness, and his truth. We need to stand up for the truth and build a wall of righteousness against the enemies of oppression, wickedness, and evil. So number five, stand in the gap. Number six, speak the truth. Speak the truth. Ephesians 4, verse 15. Speak the truth. That's very precious with all the political conflicts in our division in our nation. Is anyone speaking the truth? But that's not just only speaking the truth, but there's a qualifier to it. Ephesians 4, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love. Some might speak the truth in hate. But God wants us to speak the truth in love. And that's when comes along the correction of parents correcting their children. Uh, employers correcting their employees sometimes to speak the truth in love. They grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. <clears throat> so what we say, our words define our character. The ninth commandment says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's Exodus 20, verse 16. I won't turn there. I'll just read it to you. Proverbs 12, verse 17. He who speaks truth declares righteousness, but a false witness deceit. He who speaks truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness speaks deceitfully. That's the NRSV for Proverbs 12 and verse 17. But we want to speak the truth in love. Proverbs 30, verse 32. And, of course, the Bible is filled with instructions on the use of the mouth and words. Proverbs 30, verse 32. If you have been foolish in exalting yourself, or if you have devised evil, put your hand on your mouth. So have you ever done that? Put your hand over your mouth. I realize you can turn to Psalm 141. Psalm 141. This is something I pray quite frequently. So hopefully you pray that. Psalm 141, verse 1. Eternal, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. Our prayers come up to God's throne like incense. <clears throat> Not the incense you find in some of these stores where they have selling candles. Oh, not that kind of incense. The lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Verse 3, set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I pray that... You know, at least maybe seems like once a day. And I, I ask God to help me to speak that which is edifying, ministers grace to the hearers. And I ask God to help me not to say things that I should not say. Because once it's out, the horse is out of the barn as they speak. So pray that you can speak that which is edifying. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to my any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity. Psalm 15, we sing that psalm quite frequently, every once in a while. Psalm 15 and verse 1. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who will dwell in your holy hill? Who's going to be in the kingdom of God? Who's going to be living with Jesus Christ in the Jerusalem temple when the kingdom begins? Who is going to be in your tabernacle? 
The answer is verse 2. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. You might want to underline that in your Bible. Who speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not back, uh, backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord, and he swears to his own hurt and does not change. So number six, speak the truth. Number seven, believe and obey the truth. We have given a sermon by that title, sermon number 842, Believe and Obey the Truth. Mark 1, turn to Mark, the first chapter. Mark 1, verse 14. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, sometimes when we're coming to the church, we have a slight belief. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So some of you may just be starting your study of the truth, and you have maybe a a slight degree of belief, but that belief can grow. The faith can grow as you test all things, prove all things, read the Bible. And so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17, I believe. So we need to believe in the gospel. And the gospel is going out in greater power. We had a response from... CNN in the Philippines. We have the Tomorrow's World telecast going out in the Philippines on CNN Network. And we got this response uh, the other day. Um, Mr. DeSimone passed it on. It's not, uh, his English is probably not the best, but he says, Hi, can I have free booklets? It's my first time to watch the show last night on CNN Philippines. The show is amazing, life-changing, and the revelations really wakes me up from the truth. So here he realized God is opening his mind to the truth. And we as God's people are preaching the truth, broadcasting the truth around the world. And here's a very encouraging response from someone who's thought that the revelations really wakes him up from the truth. But what are the true doctrines? I asked my wife what was one of the doctrines that she believed in. Now, we have the official statement of fundamental beliefs. We have, I think, is it 29 different subtitles to the belief. What do you personally hold as valuable understanding of one of the doctrines? You might say all 29, But is there any particular doctrine in this fundamentals of belief statements that you actually treasure? You think it's something basic, something valuable to you, personal to you, that's a truth you hold on to. It's truth and it's strong. There's so many truths for me personally. I think of John 4 when the Samaritan woman went to the well and And she went back and told the community. The community came back out and said, well, we believe not from what you said, but after hearing what he said, he is the Savior of the world. That's one of my personal truths that I love. But the the fundamental doctrines, and I hope I encourage all of you to go through, when you think of these absolute fabulous, fabulous Real truths that you and I can understand. The church, its name, its mission. The Holy Bible, who and what is God. The Holy Spirit, the gospel, salvation. Baptism by immersion. I'm not reading all of them here, but just uh, scattering them. 
Annual festivals picture God's master plan of salvation, the law of God, God's Sabbath, sin and its consequences, the first death, second death, the meaning of born again, God's form of church government, church history, tithing, defining marriage, overcoming racial prejudice, separation from the world, military service and war, divine healing, God's health law concerning meats, origin of modern Israelites, the great tribulation, the day of the Lord, Christ's second coming, the millennium, the last judgment, mankind's origin, incredible potential, and ultimate destiny. You talk about the pearl of great price. You talk about the field that a man found treasure and bought everything they could find to get that treasure. This is treasure. Extremely valuable. You need to treasure the truth and believe and obey the truth. So these are the true doctrines, and I hope you will review them and uh, make sure that you prove them. But in this day and age, the prophecies show that there will be those who will not obey the truth. It tells us in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 7, of those who are always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And he tells us in Romans 2 and verse 8, there are those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth. My turn to Galatians, the third chapter, Galatians 3. Because we are living in a day and age when the Bible prophesies many will not obey the truth. Galatians 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. <clears throat> This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit of the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? And then later on in Galatians 5 and verse 7, Galatians 5 verse 7, you said, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. Turn to Colossians, the second chapter, Colossians 2. We have the sermon on uh, verses later on, but this is again one of my favorite verses, Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. We need to be established in the faith as we have been taught, abounding in with thanksgiving. First Peter, the first chapter, first Peter one and verse twenty two. So we see the world is not obeying the truth. The Galatians had been deceived into not obeying the truth. We make sure that we are knowing the truth, proving the truth, living the truth. First Peter 1, verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in how? Sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, it should be begotten again, not of corruptible seed nor incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So number seven, believe and obey the truth. So brethren, God is a God of truth. His word is truth. It tells us in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4 that he is a God of truth and without injustice. In Exodus, the 18th chapter, again, I won't turn there for time, uh, when 
Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, was giving advice on how to govern the nation of Israel, he said, Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Yes, we need men and women of truth. As we were talking the other day in the Feast of Tabernacles in Big Sandy in 19, was uh, 72. We had 15,000 people. 9,000 people were camping on the grounds of the Big Sandy campus in 1972. And we had captains of thousands, captains of hundreds, captains of fifties, and captains of ten. Uh, there are a lot of human nature and a lot of problems, but the government worked. And God is still looking for men and women and boys and girls of truth. Psalm 51 and verse 5. Let's turn to Psalm 51 and verse 5. So how would you describe your nature? What is your nature like? Are you saying, I'm part carnal, I'm part spiritual, I'm, uh, I've got uh, 70% of me is, is uh, solid truth, and I've still got 30% more to go? How would you describe your nature? Psalm 51, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, David writes, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. So God wants truth in the inward parts. In other words, it's a part of your eternal character. You've been begotten by the word of truth. Your thinking and your mind and your character are characterized by the word of God and the truth. So the world needs men and women of truth. It needs men, women, and children of faith. John 14, 6, I've quoted before that Jesus said, He is the way, the truth, and the life. And God's church, as we heard in the sermonette, that it is the church that makes the judgments, the body of Christ. And in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 1, 1 Timothy 3. If I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. So we make mistakes in the church, but some people have gone way out on the twigs of the tree and have... Let the winds of false doctrine blow them away. They didn't embrace the trunk of the tree truths. And I hope that all of you are embracing the trunk of the tree truths and even outlined on the official statement of fundamental beliefs. The church is a pillar and ground of truth. The Apostle John talked quite a bit about truth. You turn to Second John quickly read a few of these scriptures in 2 John. 2 John, verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but all those who have known the truth because of the truth which abides in us will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love, walk in Christ's commandments. I rejoice greatly that I found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. Then John in third John, he says, Greeting to Gaius the elder, 
to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. And verse 2, 3 John, verse 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified the truth that is in you. Just as you walk in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So, brethren, we're thankful that most of you, and I hope all of you, are walking in the truth. So may we all immerse ourselves in the word of God, the truth. May we clothe ourselves with humility and truth. May we internalize the truth. And may we apply the seven keys. Number one, treasure the truth. Number two, know the truth. Number three, live the truth. Skipped one here. Number five, stand for the truth. Number six, speak the truth in love. Number seven, believe and obey the truth. Number three was live the truth. Number four was rejoice in the truth. Number five, stand for the truth. Number six, speak the truth in love. Seven, believe and obey the truth. So pray that you can grow in the truth, walk in the truth every day. We've been begotten by the word of truth and the spirit of truth. One of the Psalms that I keep remembering that God inspired Mr. Armstrong to say, you, you need to memorize this Psalm, Psalm 25. Verse 5, 4, 6. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you do I wait all the day. That's my prayer many times. To ask God to teach me and to lead me in his truth. So may we all, as brethren, shine as the light of truth in a very dark and evil world. May we internalize the truth, clothe ourselves with the truth, believe and obey the truth, love the truth, live the truth, so that we can teach the world the reality and the truth of God in the kingdom to come. In 1 Corinthians 13, it tells us to rejoice in the truth. So, brethren, let's rejoice in the truth. And live the truth today, tomorrow, and forever.